Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today we're going to talk truth about Terry McCullough's CRT lie. Darren Galb, founder of Restore Liberty, joins me and life at the Supreme Court. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Well, today's a big day. It's election day across the country, including in Texas. If you're listening from Texas, we have very important constitutional amendments on our ballots and some of you have local races. But in the state of Virginia, really many eyes across the country are on the gubernatorial race in Virginia. You have Democrat Terry McAuliffe. Uh, there's an incumbent uh, who cannot run, who's term limited. So you have Democrat Terry McAuliffe and Republican uh, Glenn Youngkin. And I know I've been hammering on this, but I want to play a tiny little clip. And when I'm back, this is like five seconds, seven seconds. This is the Democrat Terry McAuliffe on television saying that the entire issue that got so many parents upset in Virginia and showing up at their local school boards is critical race theory being taught in public schools, not only saying it's not true, not being taught, but that it's a dog whistle. It's a racist dog whistle. So, Mr. Producer, let's play that quick clip. I'm not even spending my time because the school board and everyone else has come out and said it's not taught. It's racist. It's a dog whistle. Okay, I want you to grasp what he's saying. He's saying critical race theory isn't being taught, and he is trying to turn the whole issue and accuse parents upset about critical race theory of being racist and saying that the Republicans, especially the uh, Republican running for governor, Glenn Youngkin, it's a racist dog whistle. I mean, that he and the Republicans are saying the words about critical race theory, trying to signal some evil thing about white people. I want to tell you the truth. If you didn't know this, Terry McAuliffe was actually governor previously in Virginia. And so during the time he was governor in Virginia, the Department of Education for Virginia had on their website talking about the importance of critical race theory. Mr. Producer, let's just show them clip one. I actually read the Department of Education uh, website. It was really interesting. But this is while he was governor. McCullough, who's now saying, I don't know what you're talking about, critical race theory. They are, it's a very, very lengthy piece talking about um, just about a bunch of issues. But importantly, culturally responsive teaching and learning principles, number one, embrace critical race theory, engage in race conscious teaching and learning, which is the entire issue that parents have with critical race theory, because their children are being taught to look at other people and judge them on skin color. That's the entire point of critical race theory, to divide America and teach young people to judge their fellow students, classmates by race. And also critical race theory goes right to the heart of the anti-American left who is out to destroy uh, the very concept of America as founded. There's a second page on the Virginia Department of Education. Here it is again, culturally responsive alternatives continue incorporate critical race theory, CRT lens, critical race theory. And I wanted, I had that up there because the word lens is actually really interesting. It's the way you look at things. And this is part of what Terry McAuliffe is trying to pull off as a lie. 
A teacher does not have to stand in front of the classroom and write on the blackboard or the whiteboard critical race theory. It's a way of looking at things. It's a lens. It's a paradigm. It says everything on the planet Earth and everything related to America must be seen through the lens of race. And it encourages young people to divide everyone by race, to see everyone as the basic point of critical race theory is to say that African-Americans in our country, black Americans, are a permanent victim status. They have no possibility of succeeding in our country. They're permanent victims. And that white students, through no fault of their own, but they are permanent oppressors. No matter how good they are, what a great life they lead, you could, they can never escape from the category of oppressor. It is intended to permanently divide America. And I just want to hit this on McAuliffe. He is not only denying what he knows is true. When he was governor, it was on their website. It's on the website of the Department of Education in Virginia today. He is taking advantage of what he thinks are ignorant voters who, when he says, we don't even teach it. School boards say we don't even teach it. Yeah, they don't stand in front of the classroom and write critical race theory. The entire way of looking at the world, way of looking at uh, our culture, our society, our schools, it's all about race and understand it is part of the leftist effort to permanently divide America, to, to eviscerate from our, the understanding of our students in this country about the unique, extraordinary greatness of the founding ideas of America and instead just focus on race, just like Marx back in his era tried to divide society along the lines of economic status, turn people against each other, you know, the bourgeoisie against the proletariat, the whole point was to make people despise and hate and reject each other based on economic status. Cultural Marxists in this country are doing the same thing to America. The whole economic argument didn't work here so well as so they turned to race. But the ugliest thing that Terry McAuliffe is doing when he uses the expression, as he has throughout this campaign, that any discussion of critical race theory is a dog whistle, he's trying to frighten black voters in the state of Virginia to think that somehow the entire opposition to critical race theory is really a signal coming out from the right that they really, really better vote with the Republicans because it's a message to white voters to say stand with the Republicans. The message McAuliffe thinks his whole client dog whistle is a message to black voters. You better be afraid of Republicans. It is ugly. It is sinister. It's dishonest. I understand that there's nothing that new about talking about politicians as, lie, as liars, because heaven knows politicians lie. But in our culture, in our country, we have a guy who was governor who knows exactly what went on. He tells us lie. Pretty much everyone in the media just lets him tell it. No one says, actually, that's not true. I mean, the, the conservative media tries to jump in and say, you know, Terry McAuliffe, you authorized this. You did it while you were governor. No one, he just feels immune. McCullough feels immune from the media, from broadly speaking, from the people for being accountable for a big fat lie. Other big lies floating around, and then I'll wrap up the first five. Other big fly, lies floating around. You know, American Airlines continues to struggle. They're based here in Dallas. They have, they've canceled in the thousands and thousands of flights, and they put out a statement saying, yeah, we had to cancel flights because of bad weather in Dallas. Sorry, folks, I live here. It's not true. It's not true. And they know it isn't true. 
They're canceling flights because they have insufficient staff, insufficient employees, because they won't work if they're going to be subject to the vaccine mandate. What is happening to American Airlines and other employers around the country is that they're discovering that people will just not be pushed around by the vaccine mandates and they actually are willing to stay home and miss a paycheck and maybe lose their job. But American Airlines, um, participating in the big lie that goes on and on, pretends that nobody minds the vaccine mandates. No, we don't have a problem with that. These flight cancellations, no, it's just too windy in Dallas. Not true. They know that when they put those statements out. Their own employees know. American Airlines employees know. They go there and they don't have enough people to staff their normal flight schedule. But somehow in America, if you're on the left and you make up lies, you just get to do it. So I hope more people call out American Airlines. I actually don't want them to go down. I want them to get rid of their mandate and treat people like adults. But I, I truly, the, it's, I, I know politicians always lie and lies have existed since time began. It just feels like there's a new level of tolerance for lies. Lies told because you think, people think that anything justifies what the, their goal is, you know, means to the end. So they just lie and we have a media not just asleep at the wheel, a media unwilling to report these kind of lies, to report now about American Airlines, that's not true. You don't have, you're canceling flights because people are mad about the vaccine mandates. And Terry McAuliffe, you're losing in Virginia. Let us hope, we'll find out by tonight, I hope. But you're losing in Virginia because people do not like critical race theory and they don't like you lying about it. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. So we have a guest joining us. I really, I'm very excited about this. Uh, I will tell you that I, I came to be connected with him through Lieutenant Colonel Lohmeyer. You may, we've, have, we've had Matthew Lohmeyer on the show um, and he spoke at my conference uh, and he was the gentleman who was a commander in the Space Force uh, who was uh, let go because he wrote a book exposing Marxism in the military. Well, fortunately, because I connected with Lieutenant Colonel Lohmeyer, I've now connected with his good friend, Lieutenant Colonel Darren Gubb, who's gonna join us in a moment. He's founded something called Restore Liberty, which I love, and I wanna let him tell you about this great thing he has formed. But I also want to tell you a little bit about him. I realize people are political activists, and I'm, you know, I, God bless everyone who gets involved enough, cares enough about America. But this guy is a real, actually served the country, military veteran, patriot. And we'll tell you about Restore Liberty in a moment. But before that, just so you know, this is a gentleman who actually served America in the military. He, he was at the time a U.S. Army major. He served in Afghanistan, uh, never a pleasant place to have to go. 2003, 2004, he was an aviation task force intelligence officer there. Um, and then he later went back, redeployed to Afghanistan in 2006 as commander of a Black Hawk company. He'd gone to flight school in 1998. Same year he was commissioned as an officer. During the first half of the year-long deployment in 2006, he flew almost eight hours a day. I could go on and on, Long, great stories about what he did over there. But I really wanna make the point, this is an actual patriot, an actual military veteran, who's now fighting on the front lines here at home in America with his organization called Restore Liberty. So let's welcome Darren Gaub to our show. Hello, sir. Hey, Debbie. Thanks so much for having me on. Welcome from our hello from Montana. Oh, that's where our Montana. Okay, well, I was going to whine about the weather here because it's getting cold. I bet you a little colder in Montana. 
than here in uh, Dallas. Yeah, we just went above freezing today a few hours ago, so we're doing we're doing just fine here. Okay, I'm not going to say another word, except look how dark it is outside. You know, this is daytime here, very cloudy, very stormy, rainy, but it's a little warmer than uh, 32. Okay, so I want to talk about you formed an organization called Restore Liberty. It's a nonprofit of 501c4, um, and the line from your website just says, a nonprofit committed to restoring the original intent of the United States. I don't know you very well. In fact, I don't know you really at all, but that is... Uh, you know, music to my ears. My entire purpose in doing this show is the idea of preserving America, the extraordinary, the unique, the great America, the America created by our founders that gave, blessed the world with a country that had the most opportunity, stability, promise, abundance, uh, just, just freedom of the people. The most extraordinary gift of human liberty ever to bless this earth is America. And you're trying to talk about restoring it. So tell us all about Restore Liberty, what you guys do. Yeah, thanks again, Debbie. Restore Liberty was an organization that we founded based on the fact that we thought everything in America was upside down regarding how, how governance was supposed to operate, how people were supposed to relate to each other, and who was ultimately supposed to be a representational republic, not uh, in like a boss subordinate relationship. So we've, we've, we've flipped this dynamic in this country now to where we think that the federal government is in charge of the states and the states are in charge of the people and we the people are at least or at best number three. It's supposed to be the other way around. We the people are supposed to be governed only at our consent and we're supposed to be at the top while the states and the federal government uh, move their way down the ladder because ultimately we have to consent to it. That is our, that is how this is designed. That is what a federalist system is based on the power of the states. We want to emphasize things like the Ninth and Tenth Amendment, where it clearly lays out the fact that the federal government has a very limited number of powers at all. And they're only supposed to do this. We've way beyond the five or six enumerated, enumerated powers for the federal government and moved into a realm where they're trying to consume them all. So we need to make sure that we, the people who are supposed to consent to this governance, take that governance back in our rightful place in being our own masters. I, I already love what you're saying. I love it I, because the beauty, I, I'm a student of American history. I love the constitution, the declaration of the whole founding of America. The big concept, among the big concepts was every state is supposed to pretty much be in charge of all the issues uh, have jurisdiction over the issues unless the federal government specifically is authorized to govern that area um, by the Constitution. And we've long drifted away from that. But give me some examples of the way you say America's, and, and I'm a complete agreement, but give me some examples of the way the American government is, uh, is the federal government uh, is engaged in uh, exercising power they shouldn't really be, uh, be exercising. Oh, thanks very much. Well, let's start with the first and second amendments of the Constitution. Those are the those would be very easy to highlight. So we, often people think that, or the government would like us to think that those rights are granted to us by the Constitution and by the government, which means if they have the ability to grant them, they have the ability to take them away. And whether they're doing that through a proxy private agency or doing it themselves, it, it is clearly the fact that they are reducing the ability to use free speech. Even if it's through big tech and not directly themselves, uh, we can tell that uh, 
that is one of the biggest one of the biggest violations in the, in the Second Amendment with the right to bear arms. Every single encroachment upon the right of people to bear arms and defend themselves against an overpowering government, which was its original purpose anyways, is them removing a, a right that they never had the right to grant or take away in the first place. And those are just the two big examples from our First and Second Amendments. You can go on down through the line and talk about how, well, because of COVID, we're going we're gonna to shut down churches. For another example, or we're going to regulate how you can do business, how many people you can have seated at a booth, none of which makes any sense, no matter what the situation is. But in the, in the case of well, something like a COVID-19 virus, to have six people at a booth is OK, but to have seven, seven is suddenly dangerous. All of these things are just control mechanisms on people. And that is anti-liberty and it is against our Constitution and our way of life here in America. Could not agree more. I, I'm telling you, you are just, I'm, I'm already singing your praises. These are the kind of things I try to say all the time. I feel part of what happens is when COVID came along, because the government really did suppress very available, very helpful remedies early on and just kept pushing toward the vaccines and they just cultivated a culture of fear. And people got so afraid that, you know, it might kill all of us, we're all, the whole country be gone that they submitted to what we normally would never have agreed to. If you, if you had told us before COVID came along, the government's gonna tell you when your church can be open or how many people can sit at a booth, in America, you would laugh. You'd say, that's absurd, that will never happen here. But don't you think that the government has seized on COVID as an opportunity to instill fear and therefore subtly to kind of send the message to people you don't really have the freedom you thought you did. We'll let you know how much freedom you have. We're 100% in agreement there. I think it's uh, one of those cases where I talk about how kings and queens, whether it's in their own minds or in, in reality, they never share power. They consume it. And the use of a COVID-19 pandemic, whatever you want to call it, is certainly one of those mechanisms they're going to use to try to gain power. And they've done so very effectively through the use of fear. And that's where guys like me who in the, in the veteran community, because I will tell you, I'm just one, 17 million veterans in this nation who have a very special relationship with the people of this country. And our oath is to them and to our constitution. And it's time for us veterans to reevaluate who we're protecting our people and our constitution from. Is it our government that's an overreach, like as a domestic enemy, or is it an overseas enemy? That's a serious question and a conversation that we need to be having as veterans for sure. And so many other other people in this nation too. Should take a look at the oath of office we take in the military and ask who our duty is to. And it is not to an overreaching government for sure. Absolutely not. I, I, I'm honestly, I'm just so excited about what you're, you're, all you're thinking. And I wrote it down when you said it. I didn't realize there were 17 million veterans in this country. That is a, a, I mean, I wish there were many more actually, but that's a huge number. And I do think, I mean, your friend, our, our mutual friend, Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer, tried to talk about this, tried to say, you know, something's wrong with the way the military is uh, operating. We don't have to go way off down that path on Marxism, except to say he was talking about the kind of just irrational uh, stressed uh, on uh, military to focus on white supremacy and white privilege and all these other you know step back from training our military people 
and sit around and talk about Marxism and whether someone hurts your feelings because they said something or didn't say something. I mean, that is just the most, that is actually interfering with our ability to protect our country. It's, it's mind-blowing. And it is another example, I think, of the, the um, it is the tyranny of leftism. I know you're a C4 and you don't really aren't political, but it is the tyranny of leftism that just says, we're going to eviscerate the military, the, the whole rework the military into the image of some left-wing organization. I would think millions of veterans would be upset about this. And what's your sense? The veterans you talk to, are they upset about what's happening to America's military? I would say that millions of veterans are upset about it. And I would tell them each and every person, every single one of them to go back to that oath of office and take a look at that. And if there's no one to give it back to you, then, then reassess and give your, and, and reaffirm your oath. Make sure that you know where you stand regarding what your job was. Because our oath never expires. My oath, I, I will carry it with me until, until I'm dead and gone. And that's fine. You know, and we, you talked about all those things that government can take away from us. Uh, I was reviewing some paperwork this morning for somebody who was requesting a religious exemption from a vaccine. I mean, imagine how, like you said, not that many years ago, just a few years ago, if someone had said you're going to have to request the ability to worship as you see fit, despite what our Constitution says, you're going to have to turn in a seven-page document explaining why you have the right to exercise your own religion. We've turned things 180 degrees, and it's going to take a lot of us to turn it back. And I'm confident we can. And that's part of the reason why Restore Liberty was founded in the first place. Okay. I love this so much, I can't even tell you. One other, I want to jump in and have you talk more about what Restore, how you're doing, what Restore Liberty is actually doing to promote the Constitution, the foundational ideas. One other thing I hit on all the time, right after he who occupies the White House was sworn in, uh, there was talk by the DHS actually putting out proposals of the idea that people who were challenging the legitimacy of the 2020 elections, people who wanted to, I don't know, you know, have audits, people who wanted to question uh, the tactics used in some states that were inconsistent with the Constitution, there was actually a proposal by DHS to treat those people as domestic terrorists. The concept of, you talk about First Amendment rights and freedom of speech, for people to feel ter that they might be accused of terrorism if they challenge a 2020 election or any other things that the government doesn't want you talking about. Do you agree that's a fairly serious challenge to America as founded? Oh, absolutely. That's a very serious challenge. And one of the things I did when I got that four-page memo was to take it and replicate it using our logos, but their but their language and some of how it was laid out, and show them how easy it was to just make somebody into a bad guy by defining them the way you want to. And I told them that they were unconstitutional government extremists coming after as enemies of the American people, and mail it right back to them. So we're not afraid of getting in there and, and stirring the waters a little bit to make sure people can see how easy it is to do really what Solowinski's Rules for Radicals book talked about. It's the ability to polarize and tear something down by labeling it and defining it the way you want to, not the way it actually is. So we're engaged in a lot of things in Restore Liberty, and part of it is, frankly, just helping folks recapture the language. Of what words, words do matter. We shouldn't be redefining them in order to make somebody else an enemy. They should just stand on their own. 
Could not agree more. Love this, love this. So, okay, so you have Restore Liberty. It's a 501c4. So I love all the ideas you stand for, restoring uh, the, the primacy of the Constitution, the constitutional structure, the notion of a people who have rights from God, that we have, we are just supposed to have a government with the consent of the governed. All of that is what's, what we're supposed to have. And we have, and I, I do it in my show all the time, I'm constantly saying, People don't connect the dots. They see something they don't like. They think, well, that's not, we shouldn't really be doing that. That doesn't sound right. But they don't like it, and they go home and discuss it at the dinner table, and they fret about, this is terrible. This shouldn't be happening. But you're giving people something to do. So describe how you do, how Restore Liberty works. How do you push these ideas out? Well, thanks. Yeah, uh, one of the things we do is we make sure that we're on all social media platforms because we expect them to take us down as we become even more effective and grow. And so we can always jump onto something else. And we primarily function on Telegram. But one of the things we do or how we designed it was it's kind of like playing football. But you, you spend some time on defense, you spend some time on offense, but there's only one way to guarantee you, you have a chance to win is that you've got to have the ball and you got to be moving it down the field. Now you can't win playing defense the whole time. So we set up this idea of a defense called the Declaration of Constitutional Consent, which would look like if we were the colonists today writing to the king, except for we're Americans writing to the federal government that says if, you were, if we were to lay out those grievances against our federal government and their overreach, this is what it would look like. And that's on our website at RestoreLiberty.org as a consent declaration. And I know you want to talk about this some more, but we talked about that being part of the defense is the ability to just make a statement because that's where our founding fathers started with you saying that uh, basically laying out a case and then the uh, the second thing was getting engaged in and pushing for constitutional sanctuary counties and states which we know sounds weird because we're a constitutional country we're supposed to be an entire country that's in a sanctuary as it is that was the whole point but sometimes you just have to remind people what matters. And then we said, okay, if those two are the defense, our offense is going to be there. We're going to identify, vet, and endorse candidates around the country. And we're specifically going to focus on two areas that people rarely look at or are rarely educated enough on. And I was equally as guilty as anybody else. And when I get a ballot for a school board or a judge, I have no idea who I'm really voting for. We're getting after school boards and judges across the nation by magnifying efforts through state directors across the country as well. And the last one is constitutional education. And we use the Patriot Academy or Hillsdale, it doesn't matter, but we have people, and it's a longer term plan, we have people who will go out into, this, into the states, whether it be a, you know, a church or it doesn't really matter where it is for all ages, and we'll take part in constitutional education. If you don't know what you're fighting for, then why would you fight in the first place? And we really have to recapture this idea of constitutional governance where we the people are in charge and show them what it means in our founding documents and what it can look like again today. I simply love this. I feel like I'm repeating myself. I simply love this. This is one of those, you know, you, you hear so many people, I do public speaking, I do my shows, and the most common question I get afterwards is, well, tell us something to do. What can we do? I mean, they just, people are outraged by the vaccine mandates, they're outraged by the idea they have to choose between a paycheck, either if they drop their paycheck uh, because they don't want the, the, the vaccine, or they take the vaccine and abandon their primary beliefs, whether it's religious belief or just plain old, don't think the government ought to be telling you whether or not you have to get a vaccine. 
there's this frustration and people and and I am really commending all the parents showing up at school boards on various issues but the whole I, I feel like on the conservative side people looking for someone to organize their efforts to give us a plan tell us what to do so someone you said you have state directors uh, for your organization for restore liberty so uh, what if someone's listening to you right now and they say yeah i love what you're saying how can they get involved what can they do well first thing would be is to just spend some time on our website so you can get used to who we are and you'll see the the executive team on there myself and three other folks who are you'll be able to see the faces and a little bit of our background a little bit of how the website is designed and it's it, it is a growing process but uh, if you send an email to patriots at restore-liberty.org well we can usually get you to a state director because we're nearing 40 state directors across the country right now we've only been public since july and they love being able to get out there and get involved now the other thing to do that i would really like to emphasize on there is a two-page document called the practical tacticals and that's we're all looking at this from the perspective of joe biden or somebody else at the federal government level and we're, we're overwhelmed with how to fix something quickly that has been working against us for uh, arguably over a little over 100 years and the practical tacticals just says you don't have to do that you, you fix a house or you build a house from the foundation up and not the roof down so let's start the foundation and work our way up and the way to do that is just take a look at, at that document again the practical tacticals and it, it lays out things at local state and federal level where you can get involved and you'd be surprised when you look at that sheet the vast majority of the things that you can do are at the local level whether that's a city commission you can run for a race you can run uh, for our school board you can testify to to those same commissions to committees to school boards all kinds of different things you can do at the local level and we're hoping by the end of the day here within about six or seven hours that my wife will be the new mayor of helena montana she, hey, has no, she hey. had nothing to, to do with politics. She hates it, but she knew that she had to step up. So that's what she did. And if people do that across the country, you're not going to win every time. But you're guaranteed to lose if you don't try. That's just one idea. I love that. I love your wife is running for mayor of Helena, Montana. I love that. I will say on the school board, because I have many friends active at our school board here in Dallas and around the country, and they send me emails. What you're really discovering is people, maybe they had a really good heart uh, for education, they had a good reason to run, but the school boards, as one example, filled with people who do not feel that the opinions and the viewpoints of the parents have to even be listened to or even relevant. That it is even at a you know relatively local level as a school board member, if you've been there a while and you're kind of entrenched in how things work, and you go along with whatever the teachers unions want so you go along with critical race theory and you go along with you know letting boys use girls bathrooms and you go along with all sorts of other leftist ideas as a teaching of anti-americanism go along with that these people they didn't maybe start off with that as a mission running for school board but that's where they got to and that's what they do and they're outraged that there are americans actually saying no now you, you can't do this anymore i could not agree more that running at the local level showing up people have had made an enormous difference and everyone's following loudon county virginia and how much that school board 
just treated parents as though they, you, you're not allowed to have an opinion. You shouldn't even be here. The, as I was said, I was talking about in the first five, the Democrat gubernatorial candidate running, talking about, you know, parents really shouldn't have any say in what their kids are taught. There is just a whole, I mean, honestly, it just, it just makes my heart so happy. I can't even tell you. A whole uprising, a, a rising up of the American people getting behind ideas like you're saying, getting behind ideas. This is America. We have consent of the governed. The, we don't have a ruling class, and we're going to stop federal overreach, or at least we're going to fight it. I, I tell you, this, there hasn't been a freedom movement like this in our country since, I, since maybe the revolution, since I don't know. Okay, I want to talk. I, I love it. So you have this um, declaration of constitutional consent, and I love your explanation of it. I'll tell our listeners on our website, americacanwetalk.org, on the homepage under shows, drop-down list of links, I link to this. It is exactly, I'll let Darren tell, tell us again, Lieutenant Colonel Gobb, tell us again what this declaration is about. But you want to do something? You don't even have to leave your computer. You can sign this, sign this enormously inspiring declaration. Sign it right at your computer, send it off to the governor in your state, or print it off and mail it to the governor. So tell us again more about this a declaration of the constitutional consent, please. Okay. Yeah, no, it was uh, a friend and I got together here in Montana and realized that we needed something that would be unifying. That's one of our biggest goals. If you were to wrap up everything into a package and restore liberty, the whole the whole thing is to be uh, is to be unifying a nation back under its original intent and goals the way we were just way we were designed. And this was a document that we thought we needed to write because we'd heard people talk about we need to write another Declaration of Independence or we need to write a uh, a second constitution to start over and we totally disagreed with that and said no we're, what we're not doing is not is using our founding documents to the way they were intended intended and written in the first place so let's get back to those how could we do that well let's start by creating a document that highlights what those purposes were what the history is now how all those things within our founding documents are being destroyed and list 17 specific grievances and as if again, we're calling this right into the king again about where the government has overstepped its bounds and then make a, a closing statement that says despite all of these things uh, we uh, we once again as americans and patriots say that we're going to go ahead and sacrifice our lives and our sacred honor in order to maintain a republic that we would want our children and grandchildren to inherit from us we owe it to them and I think most of us would be willing to say that, you know, we've, if we're anywhere near 50 years old and older, and we've had a good, pretty good life, we're willing to lay it all on the line now, not for our own comfort, but for those people who are coming after us. We've got people in, the, in my own family right now who are being threatened with their livelihood or the vaccine. And so we said, you know, in the end, you can get involved in these debates from science of vaccines, the science of masks, and all these different areas of federal overreach. But all of them fall under this idea that we the people govern. And we're not consenting to this, so why should we consent to anything where the federal government has gone way beyond its powers? And this is just a declaratory statement to make it quite clear where you stand. And I do, I do want to thank you for saying print it off and mail it. They can make an email filter and make all of this disappear very easily. But if he had a dump truck back up to the White House full of these for millions of Americans, that would send a different message. 
absolutely true. And you know, I hear so many people say, write to your congressman. And you're so, I, I think actually most congressional offices, they keep a rough tally of some important vote is coming up. Oh, the, the calls are going, you know, 60, 40, vote yes or vote no, whatever it is. But to get a piece of mail, simple to print off, you actually list on your website the address of your governor. I think, is, is it address of your governor, I think, which is just, yeah. I mean, how hard, you can't really, you have nothing to complain about, nothing to say, I can't figure this out. So I, I love that too. Um, and I have to say also, I get concerned because there have always been, since time began, people who simply want to be the ruling class. They want to be in charge. They want to make rules for every, it's like a, it's the the um, in the past, the monarchies were like that. They just felt entitled to rule. And there were, I mean, America was such a refreshing bursting on of the human scene that said, actually, we the people govern and the government must function with the consent of the governed. These were such noble ideas and they have really been um, downplayed, ignored, not focused on in American uh, culture and society very much until very recently when people started really looking at the tyranny coming out of Washington. I, I just love the spirit of that. And I love helping people connect the dots and recognizing, you know, you're only going to have liberty if you stand up and demand it. If you don't fight for it, if you don't stand up, someone will always be happy to be in charge of you and every little facet of your life. It is a tendency of government to always overreach unless the people say no. So let you have the closing shot. I'm so glad we could talk today. Tell people again where to find you, how they can help, and uh, any other last information you want to share. Hey, thank you, Debbie. It's, again, it was a pleasure to be on with you today and for those in Texas as well. Uh, we are well-led in Texas, I promise you that. Please find us at restore-liberty.org. Uh, the email is patriots at restore-liberty.org. That's a general inbox, and we'll find you to one of our state directors. And... Uh, we look forward to be, being part of this solution because one of the things we do is we recognize the fact that we're independent and liberty-minded people. We don't collectivize or band together well because that's just not our nature. So we found that the way to do that is to find groups like ours, bigger, smaller, doesn't matter, band us all together and send a bigger message by showing America who really lives on an island in this country. And the fact is we really are the majority and we cannot be silent anymore. We have to be the loud and vocal majority. And I know that's beginning across the country and I'm excited to be part of it. I am not scared in the least because I know for, know for a fact that whether you silence them or do anything else, we are still the majority. And we, again, I wanted to emphasize the fact that we as veterans have that special relationship with this country and its people. And the vast majority of those Will stand in the gap between an overreaching government and the people upon which they're trying to force those rules to tell them how they're to live their individual lives within their families. It is out there. We're a large number, and, uh, and to not give up hope. And I'm again, I'm very excited about what's going on right now because I know that uh, they're fighting extremely hard to reduce and remove our rights because they know they've reached out so far that the majority of the Americans are no longer going to stand by. Could not agree more. I love that you said the majority of Americans are with us. The majority of Americans do not like what they're seeing coming out of Washington. They do not like being controlled. They do not like losing their freedom. They do not like the suppression of free speech. They do not like the threat to gun rights. They do not like the 
what the American left is doing to our country. The majority is with us, but as you say, hard to get them organized and onto the same so same platform or the same uh, vehicle to fight. So I love that you're providing for people. It's really wonderful. And you did say, by the way, you're endorsing candidates. Are you including? Are you endorsing people at the congressional level? Well, we're we're focused on those school boards and judicial candidates, and you can imagine of the large organization that we we grow fairly slowly in how we do our business. But uh, we will be endorsing those candidates at any level who we find to be 100% constitutional. And if they're not 100% constitutional, we're just not going to endorse them. We're not doing the lesser of two evils. And ultimately, Restore Liberty aims to be the, the golden ticket endorsement for anybody who says they support our Constitution across the country. And we know we're going to have to find them for now, but eventually we hope they find us because they that our endorsement shows that uh, that they're in line with those of us who love this country enough and love our Constitution. Okay, I totally love that. As you might imagine, people reach out to me, candidates around the country uh, reach out to me and, and you know want to come on the show. And they also, uh, I, I've come across two recently. I'm so excited I can hardly stand it. I think they're right. So I'm going to let them know about your organization and I'll let you know about them and see if you guys connect because I love the idea of having a gold standard of we actually stand for liberty and the American Constitution. Fabulous job. Lieutenant Colonel Galb, thank you so much for taking time to join me today. Thanks, Debbie. My pleasure to be on. Great to see you, sir. Okay, so that is just, I'm telling you guys, everyone who says, I can't figure out what to do, I don't know how to help, I love this, this veteran, this patriot, said, I, I can think of something. And as I told you, I got to him through Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer, who was the one, a Space Force commander, who lost his position because he wrote a book basically saying, the American military is being taken over by Marxism. So they're big buds. This guy doing a great thing. I'm so grateful he did it. Uh, so grateful he was available to join us. Okay, so one last thing I want, uh, topic I want to hit today, but before I get to it, I want to tell you something about um, about my pillow. And I and uh, Mr. Becker, I gave you, uh, yesterday we were putting these, this information up. Um, yeah, this is the best little flyer. I want to tell you folks, I, um, leave that up there for a second, okay? This right now, I got an email actually to the people, the talk show hosts like myself, who are working with MyPillow. The MyPillow.com website, very easy to navigate. And when you go to MyPillow, you can, when you choose the items you wanna purchase, you get up to 66% off, which is a huge, obviously huge discount, almost two thirds discount. and. What, the way you get that is to go to my pillow, pick your items, and use the promo code DebbieG. What I want to tell you is that right now they have wonderful prices on the standard size pillow, the queen size pillow, and the king size pillows. The basic product they started with. I think they have something like 200 products now, but the products they started with, there's now of all of the items they sell, the, uh, just a fabulous price, and I don't have it, my notes in front of me, but it's something like the average, you know, the regular my pillow is like seventy nine ninety eight, and now it's nineteen ninety eight. I mean, big big savings on pillows, and these are not pillows that are going to be sitting out on the ships outside of California in the Pacific, you know, waiting to get unloaded. These are pillows that come right to you. Big savings on the traditional pillow, 
on the queen size pillow, on the king size pillow. And I will never recommend one product to you that I have not personally tried. That is my promise to you. I'm telling you my pillow, we've replaced all the pillows we have, you know, and we have purchased extras because they're really extraordinarily high quality. So the virtue, if you put that up again, Mr. Becker, for just a second, the, here, the reason to do these things are, you get a great price on a great product. You support Mike Lindell, who by the way, has been canceled. My pillow founder, Mike Lindell, canceled by all the big box stores, canceled by Bed Bath & Beyond, which I no longer shop at now, canceled by the stores. So he's allowing the middleman pricing uh, that costs the middleman gone. He's shipping right to you. And he is at the same time allowing shows like mine to get income. And so I get a little piece, a little piece of everything you order. So I've told you before, we have, my husband and I have the robes, the slippers, a bunch of other things. But today I want to focus on the pillows. The pillows are the items on just huge sale right now. You could replace every pillow in your home and you, I can guarantee you'll be very, very happy you did. Go to MyPillow.com and put in Debbie G. See right there on the bottom, promo code Debbie G. That's me, Debbie Georgiatis. Okay, last thing I want to hit today, and it's a huge issue. So here in the great state of Texas, uh, we had a law passed in our legislature, um, which has to do with protecting unborn life, innocent life. So the law that passed in Texas, they call it the heartbeat bill. And the gist of it is that it makes it impossible in Texas to get an abortion when uh, once you have, um, once an unborn baby, you can detect a heartbeat. So, which is about six weeks uh, of pregnancy. And so right now that case just yesterday, yesterday, Monday, November 1st, it went to argument before the Supreme Court. And so I'll give you a little bit of legal insight because I'm a lawyer by background. These things really interest me because the issue the court is deciding right now is not really whether the law is constitutional or not. It's deciding whether, even whether, the Department of Justice or private entities can challenge the Texas law. Because the way a law is written, it doesn't make a crime out of abortion. It does not have the state enforcing uh, this law related to abortion, trying to limit it until uh, or not permit it once a, the unborn baby has a detectable heartbeat. The law is written basically set up to say when you are, um, if you're aware of an abortion, uh, when a baby's, you know, is past that and the heartbeat is available, is, you know, detectable after six weeks, it creates a, a cause of action, a private cause of action. So you can go after you, the citizens, can sue the doctor, the provider, the um, you know people who assisted, aided, and abetted. If basically the government's not involved in the in the effort to stop the abortion, it is just it creates a, a private cause of action with very very high penalties. And so the um, you know, the provider of the abortion, it's, it's a whole different tactic. And the reason I want to tell you that is that it's a different tactic entirely that doesn't so directly bump up against Roe versus Wade. It just is saying it's a private cause of action against, uh, that allows anyone to go after someone aiding and betting the abortion once if the baby has a detectable heartbeat. So that's what the law is. So the argument at the Supreme Court yesterday was whether or not, since the state is not 
involved in this law. The state's not implementing the law. The state's not, <clears throat> you know, arresting people. Uh, whether or not there is a reason, um, a basis for the Department of Justice to go after anyone, to go after the law, or any private uh, advocate for abortion to go after the law, because the government, the state government, isn't involved. So it's a very interesting oral argument. I don't know how it'll go, but I just want to share a few points with you uh, about where we are and just kind of bigger points about how we think about um, this this whole issue um, of the Roe versus Wade decision back in 1973. I want to start by saying the beauty of the of the founding idea of America, among the many brilliant and wonderful ideas, is in America, the policymakers are your elected officials, meaning you can elect someone and if they go down to your state capitol or go to Washington and they support laws you don't like, then you get to vote them out. You get to say, you know what? We said, you know, we want you to do this and you said you'd do this and said you'd, and said you did that. We're done. So it's a, it is a blessing of, it's an indicia or measure of self-governance. That's the whole concept of self-governance. That, that was the, one of the founding ideas of America, that people are actually able to govern themselves. So policy is supposed to be made in the state legislatures. The Supreme Court's job is just to look at whether or not laws that have been passed, I mean, they have other rules, but in this case, laws that have been passed are inconsistent with the Constitution, are somehow inconsistent. So if a state passed a law that women can no longer vote or that only property owners could vote or some, you know, something that got through some state legislature, the job of the Supreme Court is to say this is why we are a republic and not a democracy. You can have states pass laws and the majority of the elected representatives pass them, but you know, you can't pass, cannot pass laws inconsistent with the Constitution. So when the Roe versus Wade case got up to the, the Supreme Court and was decided in 1973, the court went off on a, <clears throat> they actually talked about in the Roe versus Wade decision, you know, the government's interest in the first trimester of a woman's pregnancy and the government's interest in the second trimester of a woman's pregnancy and the government's interest in a third, um, you know, trimester of a pregnancy. And I think you all know this, but there's nothing in the Constitution that talks about trimesters, that talks about pregnancy, that talks about anything that was that was the whole basis of the Roe versus Wade decision. Trimesters are not in there, are not in the Constitution. My point is in Roe versus Wade, what the court did was engage in policy making. And this is how the left has gotten many things through that they know the public won't go for or their own representatives won't vote for, but they push it off in the courts. So you got Roe versus Wade in 1973. The way abortion policy should be made in America is the way the Constitution contemplates, which is you have 50 states, you know, laboratories of democracy, you can have elected officials who stand for one side or the other and say what they stand for and they run for office and they make policy and you don't like it, you can vote them out. One advantage the left has is when they can get the Supreme Court to issue decisions that are policy is there's no recourse. The people have no recourse against the court. So that was the first point is that originally Roe versus Wade was a policy decision 
uh, way off into what a legislature might look at analyzing trimesters. There's nothing in the Constitution about this. This was a public policy decision by nine people, nine people in black robes, deciding for all 50 states what the policy should be about abortion. Second point I want to make, the way the left has won this argument or tries to win the argument in the American political conversation is to say, because they began immediately to say abortion rights, abortion rights, right to an abortion. A right is, a, is an incorrect word to use with respect to abortion. Rights are things like, you know, uh, in the First Amendment, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of religion, freedom, Second Amendment, freedom, the right to bear arms, Fourth Amendment, freedom against un, uh, to protect you against unreasonable search and seizures. Rights are things that went along with the whole creation of America that said these are God-given rights. The notion and the very declaration, the beginning of the declaration, that we're all created equal. We have rights from our creator, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, the Bill of Rights. It's, so rights are not something to a particular medical procedure. But they attach the word rights, the left does, because they want to make people feel like, oh, because the Supreme Court ruled the way they did, Roe versus Wade, it's become a right. They can't make it into a right by saying it's a right. It is a policy decision. And I have to say, people, I'm fully aware that this entire issue of abortion is emotional. I, I have dear, dear, dear friends who have had abortions, who, who later become advocates against abortion, talking about how they think it's not right. It is a, and you know, we're going to have this discussion over abortion for the rest of time, for the rest of time, because there are people who are strongly supportive of the idea that a woman should get to choose up until the moment of birth, whether or not to kill the baby or keep it. There are people who are just, you know, absolutely no abortion ever. And a lot of people across that spectrum, but that's really indicative of the fact it's a policy decision. So to be clear, the case before the Supreme Court, there's not going to be any ruling about Roe versus Wade, any even discussion about whether or not Roe versus Wade should be reversed. So I'll be clear about that. But what this law does do is get the issue back into the attention of the Supreme Court, back into the attention of the American people, and pushing the issue forward about, you know, why can't Texas have a law like that? Why can't they? It's a public policy thing. You know, the majority of their legislature passed this, or is this a right? Is abortion a right? And therefore, absolutely a right which must be forever honored no matter what. And I want to tell you something else about this whole issue. One thing the left did in pushing and supporting abortion rights, just kind of absolute abortion rights at all times, was this idea that it was a woman's right to choose, you know, my body, my decision. Big slogan, my body, my decision. But the fact is, abortion was never about the woman's body. It's about the unborn baby. I mean, the, hap the fact that she happens to be a woman, the only one who can have babies, and no, my little millennials out there, men cannot have babies, despite what they teach anywhere. Women have babies, but the point of this, this whole, the left was saying is, my body, my decision, you can't tell me. Well, that would be fair, that would be a reasonable thing if the government passed a law saying, you know, can't have 
um, you know, can't have plastic surgery, can't have, you know, outlawed some surgery, outlawed some procedure that was about you, then you, you, that would be a very reasonable thing to say. My body, I decide. But abortion isn't about their body. It's about the baby. It's about the baby. And the left, the same leftists who've been saying, my body, my choice, are the first ones to line up in support of vaccine mandates, where there really is a very good argument by people who don't want to have a vaccine. You know, uh, my body, my choice. I don't want to have a vaccine. I'm not saying I don't. I'm saying, but it is a legitimate argument in the era of, of COVID and vaccines. Why can the government force me to get a vaccine, which I know because I've read about, they're dangerous. They have an astonishing death rate. They're, you know, uh, and, and COVID is largely curable with available medications, blah, blah, blah. But this whole issue being up at the Supreme Court, I first of all want to commend the legislature in Texas. I want to commend our, our Attorney General, Ken Paxton, because he has been really strong on this. And he went up to the Supreme Court. He had a lovely press conference afterwards. I was going to play some of it, but the sound is really bad. You can't hear what he's saying very well, and at least in the clip that I got. But um, I, I commend people for keeping the issue, the people of Texas and other uh, um, pro-life groups around the country, keeping the issue front and center. Because what leftists would like more than anything else is to shut down the idea that we're even entertaining a conversation about whether or not we should do more to protect unborn innocent life. The left wants to say, Issue decided, 1973, all done, shut up. You can't pass any laws like this. You can't even talk about it. And I really commend the people saying, actually, we need to be concerned in our country, and we do have the right to speak up. Last point, and I'll go to why it matters to you, but my last point is this. Back in 18, I looked it up, 1896, I think it was. Um, 1896, um, we had a case <clears throat> that was called Plessy versus Ferguson. A Supreme Court case in which the court basically said that, you know, even though slavery had ended and equal rights for all, the big holding of Plessy versus Ferguson in 1896 was separate but, he separate but equal is fine. You can be, you know, you can force segregation in public schools, public transportation. Plessy was a guy who just said, I, I shouldn't have to go, you know, sit in a certain place. I shouldn't have to choose a certain drinking fountain. I shouldn't because of my skin color. So, but Plessy versus Ferguson, the Supreme Court said, separate but equals fine. Separate but equal meets the standard of our equal protection. So it upheld segregation laws. That was 1896. Fast forward to the decision of, Topeka, of uh, Brown versus the Board of Education in Topeka, Kansas. Brown versus Board of Education, Topeka, Kansas, I think it was 1951 or 52, but it went back to the Supreme Court with the same argument, separate but equal is wrong. Separate but equal is inherently unequal. So it took the Supreme Court about 50 years to get it right, to say, actually, you know what? Separate but equal, that was a bad decision. And, and so now with Brown versus Topeka Board of Education, Topeka, Kansas, we're gonna fix it. Separate but equal is inherently unequal and they outlawed segregation under the Equal Protection Clause. And I say all that to say, I think there are a lot of people in America who think, well, you know, the abortion ruling of 1973, Roe versus Wade, is set, done, all done, and we can't talk about it anymore, and we can't fight it, and, and, we, and we just got to move on. 
And I really commend the people who just are saying, you know, and again, this case of Texas law is not going to bring any ruling about Roe versus Wade. The issue is not even about Roe versus Wade. The issue is about whether the way Texas constructed the law, uh, you know, as private citizens with a private right of action against abortion providers, whether that's a scheme that can escape the DOG, DOJ and the um, and, and private citizens from suing. So that's, it's kind of a narrow issue. I want to be sure to make that very clear because it's not going to bring about the end of Roe versus Wade. But it is people saying we're going to continue to agitate to talk about the precious, extraordinary gift of life and that a, a, an American people with conscience, we look at the numbers of abortions since 1973, and yeah, there are people standing up saying we have got to do better. So that's where I wanted you to know because this is a case out of Texas. I happen to... Um, really like our Attorney General Ken Paxton, who has been just just reliable, consistent, unwavering in support of the right to life and went up to the Supreme Court. I think he actually didn't argue it. Someone else argued it. But the whole point of it is, I think this issue of life, people supporting innocent life, that issue, those of you who think, well, it's all resolved, Roe versus Wade is done, do not think that. That's what people thought about segregation. They thought Plessy versus Ferguson, 1896, Supreme Court said it was fine, but enough people said, no, not fine. Separate but equal is inherently unequal. We will not accept this. And they kept pressing and 50 years later got the Supreme Court to, to reverse itself. I don't know how Roe versus Wade, what's going to happen in the future, but I love the idea of people around this country, the organizations that support life and the legislatures like Texas that tried this tactic of saying, we're going to continue to try to defend innocent life. At the close of every show, I tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started with McAuliffe's CRT, which is Critical Race Theory Live. Virginia Democrat Governor Kent Terry McAuliffe is also a former sitting governor of Virginia. During his tenure as governor, CRT was openly taught in Virginia schools and advertised on their website. CRT, parental pushback in 2021, has made CRT a political liability for Terry McAuliffe. His solution in 2021, to openly say that CRT is not taught in Virginia schools, an out-and-out, demonstrable, fact-checkable lie based on his own actions as governor. Political calculation, trusting in the ignorance of the people. He thinks the lie will escape notice. All politicians lie, yeah, mostly true, but a culture Accepting of flagrant dishonesty will become lawless and unjust. Example, American Airlines says recent canceled flights were due to weather in Dallas. Sorry, folks, Dallas weather was mild, and I live here. American Airlines' own employees know the cancellation was due to staffing shortages in response to vaccine mandates. If society says honesty is secondary, when is it ever of primary importance again? And who gets to decide that? And at Life at the Supreme Court and why it matters, the Texas heartbeat abortion law put on accelerated track for Supreme Court review on the question of whether it can be challenged by the DOJ or any private party. Please recall, no Supreme Court decision is irreversible. Segregation was once Supreme Court approved law of the land. Abortion based on trimesters of pregnancy, which was what Roe versus Wade was, had absolutely zero basis in the Constitution, entirely a fiction created by Supreme Court to engineer a policy result. America's Constitutional Republic assigns contentious public policy decisions to the 50 states as laboratories of democracy to sort out for the people of each state through their elected representatives 
what the state's policy should be. Abortion will be forever controversial, but Supreme Court does great damage to America when five plus people in robes make national public policy instead of allowing elected representatives of each of the 50 states to act on a deliberative basis to make policy that is right for their state. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so very much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk. I want to remind you tomorrow, Wednesday, we have Sydney Powell in studio. She has a lot to tell you. Do not miss the show tomorrow, Sydney Powell. And Thursday, we on our special member show, we have Yako Boyens joining us in studio. A whole interesting uh, show you won't want to miss. So thank you for tuning in to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America, because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. America, can we talk truth about America?